data still has issues and new tools are needed like Snowflake and ThoughtSpot. Maybe traditional relational tools just hold these companies back, yet they're so grounded in them. It's difficult to migrate. It's difficult to get any sort of agility when you have not only tools that have been around for 25 years, but also people who, with mindsets that are 25 years old. What is the value of this data? It doesn't have to be monetary, right? But what is the value of it? When you have an IT person having a value conversation with a business person, whether that's clinical or financial or what have you, that's when I know that I've succeeded. Welcome to the Data Chief. Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. Joining Cindy today is not one, but two great analytics leaders. You'll hear from John Osborne, a software technology executive and the former SVP, Chief Technical and Data Officer at Ensemble Health Partners, and Todd Crossland, the Global Head of Healthcare and Life Sciences at Snowflake. On this episode, John, Todd, and Cindy discuss how people in healthcare chain of command can collaborate with one another more freely than ever before, thanks to the cloud innovations that make sensitive data safely and instantly available to all parties, why the countless benefits of moving to the cloud far outweigh the upfront price tag and the challenge with transitioning from legacy infrastructure, and how a data chief can build a case to make these points evident to the stakeholders and higher-ups responsible for paying the bills. All that and more on today's episode with John Osborne and Todd Crossland. The Data Chief is brought to you by ThoughtSpot. For more on how the most successful data leaders are driving value in their organizations, join Cindy and the ThoughtSpot team at Beyond 2020, the leading data and analytics event of the year. Go to www.thoughtspot.com slash beyond 2020 for more information. Today on The Data Chief, for the first time, we have two guests, two of the brightest minds in healthcare and data, Todd Crossland from Snowflake and John Osborne. Welcome, Todd. Welcome, John. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having us. So, so Todd, you're from... You're dialing in from Texas today. What are you? What's out your window? Um, heat. Uh, heat. <laughs> it's not quite, you know, as hot that it's radiating off of the pavement, but um, but it is. Yes, it, it is definitely hot, but it's nice, so I, I cannot complain. Great. And John, you're calling from the beautiful state of Ohio, mm, Cincinnati. Yep, baseball center of the universe. I think. Ba- well, I understand you have you have a backstory about baseball. Are you are you going to share it with us way back when? <laughs> Oh, I, I don't know about that, but I was a player and I still actually play now. So I'm, you know, I won't say exact age, but 40 plus and I'm still hitting the ball and running and throwing. So it's fun. That's awesome. So give us your position. I uh, play third base and um, first base and I, I used to pitch, but uh, no longer for me. So. Okay, great. So you're, so you're really the rookie in disguise, the movie. <laughs> yeah? yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. um, You know, I had a brief stint thinking about uh, playing professionally, but I ended up in graduate school. So that was probably a better choice. (laughs) Great. And and all roads, it seems, lead to data. But, you know, neither of you really started in the data space. And healthcare and data, I would say, is almost particularly challenging. So, Todd, you and I recently did this LinkedIn live session and you you made a quote that I just thought captured it so well. To be in healthcare, you are either insane or you care. It's not the flashy vertical. Talk us through that. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's with healthcare. You're you know, and I talk to a lot of my counterparts here at Snowflake a lot about you know the fact that you're talking about patient people's lives here, right? So it's it is by nature a an industry that is cautious, and because of that. It can be very frustrating. You can you want to move forward. You want to see healthcare move forward, and yet, you know, being in health IT and being in data, my career has been a lot of bringing new innovations to light and to push us forward. And yet, there's always this caution. There's always this fear of the unknown. And so, 
you know, it's a struggle. So you have to be a little bit, right, a little bit crazy to to do this to yourself. I've been doing this to myself, you know, for for 20 years in leadership and 30 years altogether. And it's just, it's such a, it's such a frustrating thing. But then in the end, right, you can retrospectively look back. I can look back at early parts of my career and I can see things now that the world is a different place because of things that happened. And and so you, it, there's that knowledge that you can look back. And and I also tell people in in my career that you know being in the on the software space or in the data space, you know we're typically one or two persons removed, you know, from a patient, right? You're not that far removed, right? So you're you're you are helping to ca- take care of that patient. And I, and I think because of that, you know, you have to care, right? I, I think that we do. I think as a general rule, right, people. Even the health IT people that are one step removed from your frontline, you know, uh, healthcare workers, which are phenomenal. My oldest daughter's going into nursing school, and I'm so proud of her for doing that, because that's that takes another right. I, I was a healthcare practitioner, you know, as a pharmacy technician, very very early on, and I, I know what that's like. Not near right what a doctor or nurse does, but I have such an appreciation for the jobs that they do, and I really love supporting what they do. Yeah. So not that far removed, I think is really key. So big impact, but can also be frustrating. And and John, so you and Todd met through the healthcare Mm -hmm. sector, let's say, bringing cloud, bringing Snowflake into a deployment. So you think healthcare, a little bit change resistant, slower to adopt these new technologies. Given that you also have worked in retail, tell us about the difference in industry and how you make the case for innovation in this sector. Yeah, I think um, in, in my experience, having been on provider side in healthcare, on you know revenue side, and and also in retail, I, I think one of the things that holds back healthcare is that some of the data is relatively complex, and the relationships are hard to build. And I think, you know, back to your earlier point, not starting out in data, you know, for many years I solved sort of the front end problems and those types of things, and I feel like those solutions are kind of out there now. And data still has issues and new tools are needed like like Snowflake and ThoughtSpot to actually solve some of these problems where, you know, maybe traditional relational tools just hold these uh, companies back. Yet they're so grounded in them, it's difficult to migrate. It's difficult to get any sort of agility when you have like not only tools that have been around for 25 years, but also people who with mindsets that are 25 years old too. Um, so I think healthcare for whatever reason moves at a, a much slower pace. And I'm not quite certain if it's because of the level of investments maybe are less than in retail or if competitively it's just an environment that doesn't demand as much out of your systems like our retail uh, would, particularly online retail. I mean, if you're not fully agile in that space, you're kind of out of business, right? Yeah. So uh, that's not true. I mean, hospitals aren't, necessarily going to go out of business because they have slow reporting or or that kind of thing. But it holds them back from maybe producing a higher level of care or getting predictive or or having some of these newer, you know, healthcare models uh, actually work f- uh, for them. So 25-year-old mindsets. So is that then, do we need to more cross-fertilize, bring people from the private sector in or is it that COVID is going to be the grand forcing function of our era? So I think, and, and Todd, I want you to weigh in on this too because yeah. I'd love to hear your perspective on this. But uh, from from my my perspective, I think data and app need to con- finish the convergence. They they need to come together, and the reason for that is there's a whole lot of people with a whole lot of really good ideas, but because they're not labeled a data person or whatever, then then they get dismissed by the people who are the data people, and and frankly, some of the best app people I've worked with have come from the data side and some of the best data people are like, you know, English majors who, you know, were super smart. So like, I I think, I think, you know, getting these cross-functional teams built is really the win as long as they're operating against technology that's actually helping them and not holding them back. So by app people, just to be clear, you mean, for example, one of the things I know you have a vision for is that somebody could actually find out what does it cost if I'm going to have heart surgery or what does it cost if I'm going to replace my knee? So you mean whoever kind of owns that data product or that app? 
Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, the end delivery of the data to the either the patient or the consumers, um, you know, that's kind of like the end product. Yeah. So the app. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll self-declare English major, undergrad, Todd. Awesome. <laughs> Todd, what's your thought? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to add, I mean, collaboration is, is everything. And I think, you know, I, I had this conversation with a coworker just last week and in our remote right? Workspace. It's like people think that when they go on Zoom or they go on, uh, you know, a a virtual meeting that it's only a meeting and that they can't actually do work while they're in a Zoom, right? And so there's this lack of understanding that you can actually collaborate. You can have up and, and, you know, there's now the ability, right, to have this doc sharing and using Google and using Microsoft products, right? That you can, you can actually sit there for an hour and you're not meeting to have an agenda or whatever, you're working, right? So you're working and you're collaborating together. And that's something that I saw back to your point, John, about pulling people together. You don't really know, so people don't know they're a data geek until they start doing it, right? You put them down in front of ThoughtSpot, they start asking questions. And when they get lost in it and they like, they don't come back up, right? For four hours later, and then suddenly these massive insights because of, their background, maybe they were a physician or, or a nurse or whoever that is. It's amazing how, you know, you need to pull those people together and collaborate. I saw that happening in the practitioner space where, you know, physicians were like, oh, we need to collaborate with pharmacists. And you see these the medical schools now that are joining with the pharmacy schools, and they're now talking about collaborative care, right? So I think the more that people are collaborating, the more that people are exposed to an analytics tool, the better and better this is just going to cascade and get better and better and better. And I, and I think that's, that's so huge. I had someone comment, I was talking about genomic data and they're like, yeah, well, and it was a practitioner and they're like, Hey, I get, you know, a couple variants inside Epic. Now I can see, you know, a patient has several variants or, you know, for their genomic data. And, and I said, so imagine that you actually had all of their genomic data and you could run a query against all of their data, right. Against all of their variants and have that present, right? As, as testing moves forward. And they're like, oh, and I said, yes, that, that's a whole, di- you know, we need to move the democratization of analytics out to the edges, right? So that people are constantly interacting with an aggregate query and not a list, right? And I, and I think that we, there are phenomenal practitioners out there that can read a list and they can do the own analytics in their head in real time. And they are phenomenal practitioners like that. But I think if you now give them an aggregate and give them five aggregate things instead of a list of a hundred things, they're only going to get better, right? So I, and I, that's my that's my hope that we're headed that way. So just to be clear, because we always talk about granular insights, and Tom right. Davenport talks about really you need the granular details. So are, right. is that is that what you mean? Or well, I think <laughs> that mean? underneath that aggregate. Yeah. Is, a, is obviously massive amounts of granular data. And back to John's point, the challenge is, is that, is it, does it, do you have it all? Is it good quality data, right? And can you understand the complexity in order to aggregate it, in order to, to, to produce an insight that is real, right? That is not going to harm someone. And I'm talking clinically, right? And financially, it can, be, it can do harm as well, right? But I think that that is the challenge of our day. And we see some of our clients that are pushing this forward, um, that are using combination of tools to say, hey, I can do this now. It was much yeah. more difficult when I couldn't get all of that data together. Um, but now because you can, you can scale up massive amounts of compute to run data validation. And we see that in the life sciences space where you can have just massive amounts of data and you can get quality, you can get validation by using mm-hmm. NLP, by using ML, right? So now we have the tool set in order to take all of that granular data create aggregate insight and then combine those aggregate insights with other aggregate insights. And, and now, and it's, it's crazy. And that's my big, my, my torch that I'm carrying and I will carry for the next probably 20 years is combining genomic data with EHR data claims and labs and all that. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be easy. It is going to be very difficult, but I think we're going to get there. That, that's my hopeful right side uh, versus yeah. the frustration, right? The so. optimist. Yeah. <laughs> Being optimist. The thing that really excites yeah. me about it, Todd, is that these newer tools require uh, so much less upfront engineering. Right. And that's important to me because you know the least amount of your data you understand when you're first touching it. You need to get right. it loaded. You need to get it in a place where you can start to play around with it. 
and I'm not talking about just slapping it into a Hadoop cluster or something, but actually right. put it into a place where you can drive some early insights out of it and then make some engineering choices that are actually informed instead of right. trying to guess up front, which is essentially what we're doing um, right. in some of the older tools. And I saw that work out uh, really great being able to just go so much faster and then correct the things that, you know, maybe didn't work out really quickly too. So right. you're not going to get stuck in a, you know, paint yourself in a corner, for example. So it's the cross-functional, it's the tools, it's the compute. With the cross-functional though, John, you've been both on the provider and the payer side. Todd, you work with these different stakeholders too, how do we get the conflicting priorities uh, aligned here? And John, you're laughing the most. <laughs> so you want to start with that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody's got their question they want to ask, right? And when I think about the word conflict that you just used, really what's conflicted is if you try and put it all on the same data model and you're not actually you're not thinking about it in the places that matter for each one of those constituents if you can come up with a way to like let people have the answers that they need and share the data that you need to share but then give them you know don't hold back the data just because the model is like ultra complex so you don't need to do that anymore right we can have a pair database and you know a provider data you know data that's still interrelated either through you know some of the cool stuff that Snowflake can do or Dotspot uh, pinboards or whatever. Then you can sort of drive that conflict out of the system, and then you start to see some really happy um, customers. Yeah, or there or there is the fear of whose priority takes precedence. So the provider wants best patient care. The patient only wants to share their data if I, for example, know I'm going to have a good outcome. And the payer is about controlling the costs. Longer term, it's about maximizing care. But sometimes maybe, so is the difference then, Todd, the short term versus the long term view? Wow. Yeah, I, I was kind of going through my head right now, all the different thoughts around the our, our time of transition right now. And I'm blessed to be able to sit, you know, with healthcare and life sciences as as my my responsibility for Snowflake. And I, so I get to work with the biggest of the big and the startups of the startup, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's it, and it's amazing, you know, we're in such a state of transition. Um, I was I, I've been I've worked a lot with Kaiser Permanente in my past, right? And, and so you look at their model, Right and their model, right? Payer provider, we're one and the same, right? I mean, and you know, and and their model and how it works, and and I work with the large payers and the large providers that are completely separate and lived in their fee for service world for so long, and I look at how they're transitioning, and and Cambia's come out with some very very thought provoking and 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 really pushing some boundaries um, and redefining who Cambia is as a payer and being more and. Everyone's talking about patient centricity, but I've been really impressed with what, you know, what their plan is. And now I have to sit back and be patient because, right, you can't turn this on a dime, right? And, but what, what I think the key there is, is that what, what platforms now in the cloud in general allows you to do is, is that it's the speed of experimentation, right? Is now I can experiment, I can try things so much faster with data. And by that, I mean, you can model it, you can, right, you can look at retrospective analysis, you can try all of these things so quickly, and model it and find out if it's going to work or not. And and taking that type of technology, I'm, I'm insanely inspired by Elon Musk and SpaceX and everything going on with that. I'm a sci fi guy. So I just look at the technology it took to make those rockets go up and then come back down and land like they do. And you see the little thrusters go out the sides and it, and it straightens it out and all that. How was that done? You know, it was modeling, right? You know, it's a massive amount of data that they use to do that. So that's the thing that that gives me hope is that I know that that type of thinking is going to make its way and has made its way to a certain degree into healthcare. And it's really experimentation on a scale we've never had before, virtual experimentation. And then you can apply that to, to you know, to really to, to patient care. So that's, and I'm seeing it. And, and again, because I've seen it in the startups, I see it with the big guys and they're they're out there doing their investments and 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 making investments in in the in the startups and and it's causing their the mothership shall we say to change and all of that's good so I, I am optimistic I'm generally speaking optimistic 
but it is happening, and and so it's it's awesome to watch. I also think a tool like like a, a Snowflake is going to drive some new thinking about how to collaborate with partners on data. Because you may have like let's say I'm just guessing you're you're like an Anthem, and you have maybe petabytes, which is impractical to share over traditional ETL. You can't. You can't use a flat file. You're always pulling a fraction of the data out that you want to share with some third-party right. vendor who's doing a service or whatever. But with um, you know Snowflake, you can just sort of put that data online, and they can have all of it. Yeah. There's no like, there's there's no worry about you know truncating the stuff that you really wanted, or right. you know not being able to collaborate because you don't have enough of it. Yeah. So sharing without moving the data has always been a pipe dream or utopia. And without mm-hmm. this being an infomercial, Todd, I think, you <laughs> ju- I think you just have to summarize for people that are not familiar with it. T- tell us briefly how that works. Yeah, without getting too technical, the straightforward nature is, is you uh, basically, because we are, we are public cloud, all three public clouds, we are multi-tenant on those public clouds. We have this unique capability to have within database live sharing so that you're not having to dump things out to FTP and send a petabyte across the world. I give the example and the best one is, is, you know, star schema from a COVID data set perspective. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, you know, uh, star schema is a company, not the star schema, you know, uh, schema model, type, yeah. but it, not the data model, but star schema, the company, right. Aggregates 27 sources of data from around the world. And it's all sitting in AWS West. And then it gets replicated to 20 cloud regions around the world in real time. Every hour, as the data, as any, if any data changes, and that's replicated as a service, so that anyone on any one of those twenty clouds with a Snowflake account basically is getting this pulse of live data. And the beauty is, is that there is no right, to your point, there's no ETL, right? It's all in a curated, normalized database. Now, it doesn't mean you can't go and make your own aggregations and do your own thing with it, but it's this wonderful base. And and we've done several webinars on showing people how to quickly interact with that. I personally do myself. And so it's, you know, but underneath, right, and the data sharing is this core feature underneath the data marketplace, which is a public app store for data and private data exchanges, which I think will be very prevalent inside healthcare and life sciences, because you can't, right, you just can't publicly, we're talking about protected health information here, and you you don't want to just, you know, you're not going to put people's uh, healthcare data out there in in a public marketplace. Right. Yeah. And to add that example about petabytes, just to give, I'll go back to the genomics example, right, that's big. And so we're in these conversations now with companies that know genomics really well and companies that know patient data really well. And the beauty is, is that before they were not able to, to your point, they were not able to have this conversation to say, what if, right, I could just join these data sets. I don't want to move them and and forklift them from point A to point B. I just want to join them. And, yeah. and and now they can do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think there's some new, some new business businesses are going to start up specifically around all that stuff. Right. Uh, especially maybe some specialty machine learning or, um, you know, AI or whatever, where these big data really matters and helps, you know, get models trained much better. I, you know, I can definitely see some of that coming really quickly, like this year, maybe ne- early next year, for example. Yeah. So this is what even in financial services, as well as healthcare customers have said to me, that the cloud lets us do analytics that was never even before possible. And yet a study that just recently came out from IDG Cloud Computing Survey, 40% cite controlling cloud costs as a top challenge. So how do we do these great analytics, agile compute, elastic compute, yet not get the sticker shock at the end? How do we... How do we manage that? Either yeah, John or Todd. Well, I can start with, I always joke when I get asked this all the time, uh, since I've done Snowflake, and I, I was, a, I should say, I was a Snowflake customer before I, before I joined Snowflake. And I always get asked, right, is cloud, you know, less expensive, equal or more expensive? And the answer is yes. <laughs> and so, right. And, and, and it's really interesting is that, you know, I work with, you know, the clients that are replacing something that's on premise generally speaking, massive cost savings, right? Just for, just generally speaking, that's what happens if you're doing the same workloads that you were doing before. So if all you're doing is, you know, this hardware appliance is coming up for renewal, I don't want to be in a private data center, I want to move to public cloud. If you take what you have today and you move it into the cloud, 
generally speaking, you're going to save a lot of money. But here's the here's the point, though. What happens? Then I say, oh, wow, I can now do 10 times what I was able to do. I can do 10 times as much. I can do it 10 times, 100 times as fast, right? So on and so on. And so, on. so what happens is, is people get, get a little bit tipsy on it, uh, to use the phrase, and then they're like, mm-hmm. oh, wow. And, and we do see clients that start to spend and spend and spend. But what I always say, and, and being more of a business CIO myself, is that what is your ROI? And so now what you can do with this is you can say, if you're going to, and I did this with my ETL all the time, don't get data daily if you only need it weekly. Don't get it near real time if you only need it hourly, right? The the cost of inject, you know, that, that's how Snowflake and, and cloud is, is pay as you go, right? So So frequency is really important for this type of technology whereby you need to say, when I'm, if I'm going to go query this, it's got to have a return. And that return can be patient care, right? It doesn't have to be, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, revenue cycle management, right, John? It can be, it can be a variety of things, but you've got to have value there. And for certain people, cache the data, right? If they only need to see something daily, then you create a a snapshot of that and you point it to that and and it, it doesn't change throughout the day. So yeah. there's lots of tricks and there's lots of ways. And I think that, you know, there are people that absolutely spend way too much money on cloud. Yeah, totally agree. And I think um, a lot of um, companies or, you know, CEOs, CIOs, they, they miss out on some of the cost savings that's available too. like what my experience with both ThoughtSpot and Snowflake is that you don't need the same number of skill sets that you used to have. So people costs. P- the people costs, people costs can, can be okay. less. And sometimes that's a hard conversation. But if you if you build that into your model and maybe retrain some of these people or and p- build that into your cost model, all of a sudden this license cost isn't as much anymore because now you don't need, you know, a traditional like DBA person who's troubleshooting queries, for example, you know, you don't, you're not creating indexes. You're not doing this older mindset type work anymore. You're doing all this newer work. And to your point, Todd, it's, you know, it's fun to use and you can definitely, you can definitely, uh, you know, use a lot of it, but that's where I think leadership and enterprise architecture, and you, you have to be clear about what the business case is and, and where the ROI starts and where it starts to end. Yeah, yeah. So John, you talk about leadership and you gave a presentation a few years ago called Navigating a Sea of No's. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the answer is no. That was no. a lot of fun. So, <laughs> yeah. so how do you navigate? Talk us through the process. So imagine um there's you have an opportunity, you go into any industry but but healthcare in particular and you see this business value, this opportunity, how do you build the business case to innovate and move to the cloud? Talk, talk us through that. Yeah, that's at the core. Um, this business case problem is at the core of like being successful, in, in my opinion, right? And, and, the, and the reason for that is twofold, really. Like One is it Obviously, business cases help us justify uh, spend, right? But oftentimes, the investment in these technologies like ThoughtSpot and Snowflake also come with organizational change demand with them. It's going to look different. Your team is not going to look the same. And so getting through the business case where you're really not just handling, well, can I pay for the license costs, but how am I going to be organized? How am I going to uh, govern these tools? Um, what level of skills do I need? Do I have to retrain people? Getting through all of those discussions is really at the, at the core of you know navigating the nose so that you can actually get to the yes and say, yeah, this will work. And then, of course, bravery matters too, right? Bravery does matter. So, so your organization, maybe you have the business case, but the organization isn't mm-hmm. ready. Uh, changing the culture is, is much, much harder than building the business case. That's the hardest part. But I find that the, the way to unlock that is um, I spend a lot of time partnering with um, the business side of, of whatever the organization is. So, you know, in, in healthcare, you know, maybe it's hospital administrators or, um, you know, providers, depending on what area you're in. You know, in retail, it could be, you know, the CFO and you need to, you know, you're trying to build this case for why we should change and take some risk, right? Like all of these changes carry risk with them. 
And, um, you know, sometimes that's the tiebreaker is eliminating some of these, uh, discomforts or risks that, that the business people feel. And if, if you can do that successfully, then oftentimes you can start, uh, you know, organizational change process. I've done that successfully a couple of times now, and I've also failed a couple of times. So, um, it is hard, but it pays off in the end for sure. If, yeah, if you're successful, yeah. it's really, in my opinion, what you need to do to really fully maximize the use of all these new tools. Because these tools were not built using the same thinking as the, you know, as older like relational data tools or, you know, just traditional reporting tools. Like these things are built with totally different mindsets and they need to be operated uh, differently and used, uh, frankly, differently by business people. So, you know, getting through all of that can be quite challenging. So do you, you talk about the stakeholders and Todd, given that you work with so many companies across industries, is it better building the business case with IT who understands the technical limitations and challenges, but who are perhaps more risk averse? Or is it better building it, as John said, like with the hospital administrators or in retail, it might be the chief revenue officer or the COO one colleague was making the the case for what's your view yeah and, and to me i hate to i'm going to take the middle ground and say it's better to do it with both no no <laughs> of and, course and, and, yes and, right bring them both to the table no no and 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 i do i mean i'm in a difficult position sometimes as i am trying to you know i'm alongside our, our sales team and i'm trying to get an organization to embrace snowflake right and while I'm doing that, we may be having a conversation just with IT or just with business. And and whenever I'm able, I always attempt to encourage them to if you're if you're going to be doing you know something on Snowflake and implementing it, it can happen so quickly that I love this. There's a there's a thing that happened in my company. It was a perpetual cycle, right? Is that you come in and you you work with business, you generate value, business smiles, they're happy. And then it, it just creates this motion. And once you get this motion happening, and back to John, your point about people are doing less administration, less database administration and more data engineering and data value, value proposition. You're talking about what is the value of this data? It doesn't have to be monetary, right? But what is the value of it? And you're having, when you have an IT person having a value conversation with a business person, whether that's clinical or financial or what have you, that's when I know that I've right I've, I've succeeded, right? And and whether or not they go with Snowflake or not, that's where you know I try to help those organizations move in that direction. And and so I am going to just go right in the middle and say it's 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 ideally when it's both, because when it, if I'm talking with either side, I'm always pushing either one of those sides to the middle and yeah. trying to get them because to me it's or the best organizations I've seen they're generally the smart the startup ones or what have you. Is that there's this the, there's a very blurred line between what is business and what is IT. They're all in one room together, right? You're it's aligned. only after time, right? You're right? Aligned. There's, yeah. right, and then they 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 kind of you know spread apart as the organization gets bigger. I'm fortunate enough, and I think with Snowflake, we're we are a technology company, but having been there from you know uh, when we were at 300, 400 employees when I joined, and now over 2,000, is that I, I think we're very aware and very cognizant to keep people as connected as possible and not do not allow that separation. Right. Yeah. Uh, Cause that's, that's very, very dangerous. You, you know, one, uh, one interesting problem uh, I ran into a couple times actually was that some of these things are so done so quickly that it's almost unbelievable to people and you have to like intentionally slow down. Otherwise yeah. like this thing that used to take a year now takes like a couple weeks. Right. And nobody believes that it's actually right because you might, Oh, you must've cut corners or you must've, you know, not done the whole job or whatever. And uh, like that, like I, I hope everybody runs into that cause it's kind of fun. Right. You know, that go is play, fun. Go play golf yeah. for a week oh. and sell it next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Don't slow down. I, John, are you kidding me? I'm trying to get people to innovate faster mm. and to actually shut down the legacy tech because mm. you know in a normal economy i think we can let things die a slow death but right now when when people are under pressure and trying to speed the time to insight and and reduce their it and data and analytic budgets um, my view is shut down the old stuff 
sooner rather than later and accelerate the innovation. Am, am I drinking the Kool-Aid here or? Oh, yeah. I am? Oh, absolutely. I'm drinking no, the Kool-Aid? That's a good thing. Yeah. It's a good thing. I've been, no, uh, I've been an enterprise architect for a long time and it is really hard to turn stuff off. So I know. I prefer we to almost refer never it. do. No, and and sometimes there's really good reasons why you can't do it, but you can make the licenses smaller and less expensive, and you can shrink them, right? Yes, yes. Actually, flipping them off sometimes actually doesn't even have a business case, frankly, yeah. because it's fully depreciated or whatever. You just right. you just or maintenance. Stop maintaining. Like, yeah, and stop paying those maintenance fees. Yep. Exactly, and and reduce the spend as much as possible. Turning off, it's eh, a little. Mm, Risky. No, a, you don't know. Yeah. I have a great a great example in life sciences today is the is GXP. So people don't know GXP is good and X is variable. It's good and practice. So good clinical practice, good manufacturing practice, and good lab practice. And and these are this is the part of pharma that is insanely regulated by the FDA. You got to be super vigilant in what you do. And you know we have a, a large number of pharma clients that are embracing this concept around Snowflake and using it for GXP workloads. Here's the problem, okay? These people are used to changing their platforms once a year, once every six months, right? Maybe once a quarter. Um, and the fastest I'd seen prior to us, you know, something that already existed in their legacy was monthly. Okay, and what I mean by that is their their platform was upgraded, right? was no more frequently than monthly. Well, guess what with Snowflake? You're upgraded every week and you don't have a choice, right? We are a service. We are provided as a service. So what's been amazing to watch is this struggle between the people that want Snowflake and the people that are like, oh my gosh, yeah. you mean I have to validate every week, right? And so they've been doing these processes manually. And so, but with the age now and myself being a, a, a builder and, and John, you know, this automation, right? The, the automated regression testing and that capability that's been in software for years, right? Is now, you know, pharma is now embracing and going, wow, you mean I can get, you know, a, a dev QA instance on Snowflake, you know, we update across a number of days. Um, and so it's like, I can get my first dev QA instance upgraded on Snowflake. I can run, a, run an automated regression suite, use my zero copy cloning. Sorry, getting technical. Um, and <laughs> no, then, no, no. then I can validate, you know, my workload and I can do that, you know, push button. Now it takes work and I don't want to say, right, that it doesn't take work, but now there's the, the eyes are opening up and these people are like, you mean I can use something like Snowflake, but yet it's still it can be validated and it can be done weekly and I can now be agile and I can now drive value much, much faster. And it's just amazing to watch. So Todd, I've, uh, um, I don't, I don't know if you're aware or not, but I did, uh, I went a step further at a property and casualty company and we actually did test driven development with data. So not even just having a regression suite, but actually doing TDD for real with data where your test suite just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And every time you push a change, the entire thing executes and comes out perfect. And I'll tell you what, that is the key to high performance delivery of data. And it's possible. I, I don't know how many people said, Oh, it'll never work. Blah, blah, blah. You know, yep. like, Oh, you can't do TDD with data. You know, we have mm -hmm. to validate it by hand and all that. Yeah. And that's just, it's, it's hogwash. Yep. Uh, you Absolutely. can be ultra agile with it. And I know you can even test, um, um, ThoughtSpot using, you know, some tools like Cypress and stuff on the yeah. fly, which is pretty cool too. So. so you guys are painting a picture of utopia and I'm going to throw a regulatory <laughs> wrench into this, but you know, healthcare is also highly regulated. So when, when let's say the industry moves faster than the regulators, you still have to sometimes deal with that. Um, they may want data submitted in a very precise maybe older school way. So how do we contend with that? Oh. Okay. Boring <laughs> question. All what? right. Forget that. So you then just I'm put everybody go to sleep. <laughs> then I'm going to go back to John, uh, not to put you on the spot, but you also said you failed a couple times, which, which I applaud you for even saying that. Mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't like to talk about the failures, and yet we learn so much more from them. So how did you, um, if you care to elaborate, but how do we, how do we navigate those so that we learn from them? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, like 
you know, I use the word fail. It really is a learning opportunity, but you have to have an organization that's willing to think about it that way too. So the culture again. Yeah, the culture matters. And, you know, just to be frank, not all cultures think failures can be successful, right? They just don't. They're like, oh, you failed, you're done, right? Move on to the next project versus iterating on it, right? So, you know, I think in a couple of instances where, you know, things didn't really work out the way they should have, it came down to the business IT partnership not being either deep enough or not being brave enough to try and do stuff a new way. And then you end up doing it the old way, which is why you were failing to begin with. So you end up like causing the problem you were trying to avoid because you weren't either uh, committed enough or it turns out the organization wasn't ready for that amount of risk, even though even though everybody nodded their head and said yes, when it came down to it, they're like, oh no, it's too different. We shouldn't do it like this right now, right? Yeah. So then you end up, you know, either not executing or just doing it the old way. And then so now you wasted, you know, a bunch of time and people's yeah. effort and, and whatever. Um, so in general, that's the that in my opinion is the key to success is making sure that your business partner is is really committed just as much as you are, right? And ready. Well, you, you, <laughs> you, you used the word brave twice now, mm-hmm. and I yep. think that's really relevant. It, you know, it, you know, nothing's certain, right? So at some point, you kind of have to, you know, shake hands and and move together, move forward together uh, to make stuff happen. And oftentimes, you have to put some trust in people, both in your business partner with IT and IT with your business partner. And you know, sometimes that takes a little bit of extra agreement that you maybe normally can't write down in a project plan, right? Yeah. So sometimes these human relationships matter as you're doing uh, new things, especially when the culture's maybe not quite ready for it. So, but if you wait around to try and get it ready, you may never get anything done. So, yeah. So I don't believe you can wait, but is this then the role of the CDO is to really, um, well, come in, change the culture, lead the organization forward and connect to all these different stakeholders. But you also described it as the Sisyphean shuffle. <laughs> yeah. So it's the rock uphill so, every day. Yes, yes. <laughs> and 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 another very a wonderful CDO talked about how um one organization he said if he had tried to do this innovation a year ago they were not really ready and they're ready now. So is it that the time is now for these CDOs or is it that it still depends? You can walk in and it's just not, you're going to be caught in the middle. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's an individual choice and everybody's context is different. The way I have seen other people like myself be successful and the way I've been successful is like picking the right first project matters. Like if it's too small, um, people will just ignore it because it's like, oh, that was easy. You got it done quickly, blah, blah, blah. If you pick like all build a team of all superstars, then the excuse is, well, you took all my best people. Of course, you were successful, right? But then if you try and take on too much, that's going to be too much risk. And people are going to be like, nope, too much. Can't, can't go there. We can't do, you know, our number one or two projects and, you know, fail in front of the customer or whatever, right? So doing the due diligence on how which projects you want to use to get started matters a ton. And if you pick the right ones, um, you can definitely be successful. And now you have an actual data point that says, hey, we did this work. We did it differently. We did it with a different cost basis, maybe lower, maybe not. And we executed you know, much faster, which is in general, what people really care about is getting the execution done more quickly. So, you know, focusing in on the right projects matters. And, you know, if you're just picking the first thing and running with it, you're probably not doing the right thing. You probably need to go find two or three projects so you can weigh them all separately. And then, and then, and then pick one to focus on with your partners. And if you're using Snowflake and ThoughtSalt, that's great. They're excellent partners, but you know you might be using other tools too, and that's fine. Yeah, so it's the right tool for the right use case. Yeah, add to that a little bit is is go for your whoever your customer is, whether that's in, external or internal. Is to me what works really well is what is the most valuable thing I can do for you, and if they answer that, then they they have skin in the game, 
right? And, and if they can come forward and, and challenge you with, you know, either what is something that you want to do today that you can't, or what is something else that is more that much, you know, how can I, right, I need to define for you what is valuable. And I think that worked really well in my past, because it got this excitement when we delivered that first. And to your point, minimum viable product for us is that it's the Goldilocks wasn't too big, wasn't too small, but it had impact. And in this case, it was a fi- it was a significant financial impact, you know, for our customers. And so <clears throat> that to me, that just gains momentum, right? And then suddenly it's word of mouth. And I think, you know, to me, generating excitement about a product, whatever that product is, and, and what we find is, is that people are building products on top of Snowflake, they're using ThoughtSpot to embed and using, you know, other partners and all this is that, is that you get people excited about something and talking about it, word of mouth is going to just, is going to, you know, grow a life of its own when you get people excited about something like that. So Yeah, for sure. So if I kind of summarize both your key takeaways, well, cloud, <laughs> cloud is overriding everything, but that cross-functional team experiment, choose based on value, but it's got to be the Goldilocks size, be brave. Did I capture the top three takeaways or you guys want to add another one? I think you got it. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, you just summarized my navigating the nose talk. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> we'll Way play go, that Sydney. back. We'll play that back. Um, so quick lightning round. So sports, favorite sport and team, Todd. Uh, oh, definitely. <clears throat> in the U.S., we call it soccer. In the world, it's called football. And it's, uh, <laughs> so Tottenham Hotspur and the Premier League. So Tottenham. really quickly. For John, though, and I know about playing late, I, I'm a goalkeeper. And by the time I got to my mid-30s, right, and I'm throwing my body around against 20-year-olds, that was my time to quit. So, all right, I'll be quiet. Oh, you can still play. My husband plays in an over-50s league. So, there you go. <laughs> John? Uh, Cincinnati Reds. Really can't answer a different Cincinnati way. Reds. But college, <laughs> I think, did I hear you want to talk college football, Ohio State? Mm, yeah, my or, son attends there, so that's really fun. Um, yes. I'm a little, I, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen with the season this year, but hopefully hopefully, the, the one game that matters will happen. So. Yeah, well, we're Rutgers and LIU, so we can we can only be friends so much because we have we also have some players there, but that's okay. Um, what about how you keep up with everything in data and analytics? Are you podcasters or readers or TED Talk bingers, Todd? What about you? Absolutely, all of the above. It's pretty common that I get people that I'll start sharing my screen in Zoom, and they'll look at the top of my the number of tabs I have open in in my Google Chrome. Is that it's I use you know whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, right, you name it, and different podcasts that I watch. And and to me, everything is like a it's a trigger to something else, right? It's it's I'll I'll see something here and it'll lead me there. And I go down so many rabbit holes, and you never know where you're going to end up. And I think that's kind of the beauty of it. Is that I, I'm not, I don't strictly, there's a few things I strictly follow, but I really enjoy the fact of discovering new things all the time. And I think that's kind of the key uh, is letting the, and it's kind of, okay, kind of be cheesy, right? Letting the data take you where, right? It wants. So that's kind of fun. That's good. John, what about you? Yeah, a lot of the same. Um, I tend to um, focus on maybe not bleeding edge technology, but things that, you know, are ready for production type research, you know, and a lot of that has to do with a lot of times you can figure out like for IPOs and, and startups, like what are they using? Like, cause they're, they're being successful. They're doing all this stuff. Like what, what are they using in the, in the back end, front end and, and sort of discovering that. Right. And through all the vendor networks, you can generally sort of figure it out. So I like to, um, I like to do research like that. Good, good. So I always like to end, the world is a difficult, chaotic place in the best of times, but particularly I think in 2020, if you think about beyond just the core answer that we give definitely health and family, what are you grateful for, Todd? I'm grateful. It's kind of, This is going to be kind of bizarre, but I, I'm actually grateful for, uh, it's going to be weird, Marcus Aurelius and Stoicism. Um, I think in these times, having something like that and having a philosophy like stoicism is something that it doesn't necessarily like, you know, I'm a follower of, of, of religion. I'm a follower of different philosophies and what have you. But I think in this, I am grateful for those, the teachings of someone like Marcus Aurelius and Zeno and Epictetus and, and, and the stoic philosophers that, that it's amazing that something that was started, you know, thousands of years ago is so relevant today and, and, uh, Frank Slootman, our CEO, is he and I both follow the Daily Stoic, 
uh, Ryan Holiday. And, and to me, that is what I'm grateful for is that to stand on the shoulder of giants like that and to learn from people like that. And that words that were said 2000 years ago can be just as relevant now as they were then. Um, and that we've and that these things were going through, they went through them as well. They were different, but they definitely went through them as well. So. Yeah, thank you. And I think that's your background. Was your undergraduate philosophy or am I misremembering that? It was it was political science and it was political international science. relations and it was conflict resolution. Right. So yeah. it was about, you know, about resolving conflict. And I think that, you know, let's talk about the politics and the culture of companies. Right. It's There's a lot of there's a lot of conflict resolution. Right? Yeah. So. Good. Thank you, Todd. John, what about you? You know, I'm really grateful that I have so many great people in my uh, network, in my professional network. You know, when you when you reach out with a question or ask for some help, um, you know, there's just so many a diverse group of really excellent people that um, are willing to, you know, give back a little and help. And and um, it's it's really it's really nice. Yeah, I've also often said the data and analytics community is such a generous community, and if ever I've seen it, like the the whole data for good and just helping other people. We're very lucky to be in this sector. You know, there's churns in jobs, but everyone is so quick to help each other out. Plus, everybody knows how hard it is. Yes. Yeah, it's true. It's true. We can all commiserate together. (laughs) And celebrate together. We'll get to the other side of this. Yes. So I'm grateful to have the two of you on The Data Chief. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, thanks for the invite. It was really fun, Cindy. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or listen to more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout on Twitter at BISCORECARD. The Data Chief is brought to you by our friends at ThoughtSpot. Searching through your company's data for insights doesn't have to be complicated. ThoughtSpot makes it easy. With ThoughtSpot, anyone in your organization can easily answer their own data questions, find facts, and make better, faster decisions. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.